Thank you for accessing this audio resource from Glad Tidings Church. This is Pastor Tim Rice. I hope you enjoy the message and receive some benefit from it. If you do, please let us know. Send your comments to info at gladtidings.church. Now, here's this week's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We're going to continue our study on the prayers of Jesus And we're going to turn to and look at the Gospel of John, and we're going to look at tonight what is the final and what is arguably the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed during his his ministry, and that is the resurrection of Lazarus. Now, we're familiar with this story, um, and so we're going to go there in a little while, we're going to look at that in some detail tonight. Now, this miracle, the, the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, actually plays a very important role in the Gospel of John. Um, although John mentions that Jesus performed many uh, more miracles than uh, he records, John actually records only seven of Jesus's miracles because seven is, um, as you know, seven represents perfection. And so seven, John uses seven miracles throughout his gospel uh, to reveal the identity of Jesus Christ as the son of God. And so, in fact, in the gospel of John, these miracles are called signs. They're signs that Jesus performs to demonstrate that he is the son of God. And this miracle in particular plays a very important role because um, this is the final miracle. It's the seventh miracle. And um, it is a miracle that is so spectacular that it grabs everybody's attention for better or worse. And in fact, it actually, it actually initiates the events that will eventually lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This miracle uh, so infuriates uh, his opposition that Jesus, uh, the opposition of Jesus that they decide he must be dealt with and uh, he must be killed. And so this is the final miracle. It's so spectacular that it initiates the, the events that will finally eventually lead to his crucifixion. And so you know a little bit about this miracle. We're not going to read the entire story tonight. Uh, you know that while Jesus is ministering, he receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick and uh, that his sisters, Mary and Martha, have sent word to Jesus asking him to come so that he might pray for Lazarus and so that he might be healed. Now, uh, the passage goes into some detail that Jesus was a great friend to Lazarus and that he loved Lazarus and that he loved Mary and that he loved Martha. And yet we know that the Bible says that he delayed two days while Lazarus was sick. And during those two, <clears throat> two days, actually, Lazarus actually ended up uh, passing away. So when he finally does arrive on the scene in Bethany, when Jesus arrives in Bethany, Uh, toward the home of Lazarus. The assumption uh, that runs throughout the story from this point forward is that Jesus might have been able to prevent Lazarus from dying if he had been there. If he had gotten there earlier, the assumption is maybe Jesus could have done something to prevent Lazarus from dying. You remember um, that Mary and Martha uh, run to him. Martha first runs to him 
And she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing. Lord, if, if only you had been here, then maybe my brother would not have died. So the assumption is, is that if Jesus had been there on time, if he'd been there early enough, if he had shown up, then maybe he could have done something to prevent Lazarus from dying. But now Lazarus is dead. And so um, the assumption is there's nothing then that can be done. In fact, this same assumption carries over not only with Mary and Martha, but also those that are gathered there with Mary and Martha. When Jesus goes to the tomb, just before the passage that we're going to read tonight, when Jesus goes to the tomb, some of them said about Jesus, could not he, they're talking about Jesus, could not he who had opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So the assumption is, if only Jesus had been here, then maybe he could have done something to prevent Lazarus from uh, dying. But now Lazarus is dead, and uh, they assume that that is uh, no longer a possibility. So let's read. But Jesus promises Martha. Remember, Jesus promises Martha. He says, your brother will live again. Even though they have no hope, Jesus is confident when he stands at the tomb that Lazarus is going to live again. And so in these verses that we're going to read, beginning in verse number 38, Jesus prays a very confident prayer. All right? So let's read uh, John chapter 11. Well, I've got my Bible open to Acts. I'm not sure why. John chapter 11 Beginning in, we're going to begin in verse number 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb, and it was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, and here's the prayer, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Verse 43, and when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this, your word. We ask, God, that you would speak to us now from your word. Teach us, God, uh, about praying with confidence tonight, so that, Lord, no matter what we face, that no matter what we're going through, no matter how impossible the situation may seem, that we can pray with the same kind of confidence that Jesus prays with here in this passage. We ask it in his name for his glory. Amen and amen. So in your notes, uh, the resurrection of Lazarus was the final, the greatest miracle of Jesus's ministry. And at the tomb, he prayed with great confidence. He prayed a very confident uh, prayer here. He says, Lord, I've, God, I thank you that you always hear me when I pray, that you've already heard me. But I just said this for their benefit. So how many knows that's a confident prayer that Jesus is praying uh, at the tomb? He's standing at the tomb. Lazarus is dead. And again, remember the assumption everybody else had was, well, if Jesus had been here earlier, 
then maybe he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. But now there's nothing that can be done because Lazarus is dead. So they're, they're not so confident, but Jesus standing at the tomb is confident, isn't he? He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard uh, my prayer. I know that you always hear me. So Jesus is praying a very confident prayer. And there's a, now there's a few things I'd like to point out about Jesus' prayer here before we talk about how we can pray that same kind of confident prayer. And the first thing is that he, he prayed with confidence because his prayer, um, number one, it was short. So the first blank there, his prayer was short. Um, it's worth pointing out here that the strength of our prayers is not necessarily related to the length of our prayers. Because Jesus prays a very short prayer uh, here, and, and Lazarus is raised from the dead. Now listen, that's not an excuse for us to spend less time praying. Can I get an amen tonight? So it's not an excuse for us to spend less time praying. It's not an excuse for us to pray short prayers or to settle uh, for short prayer times because the truth is that Jesus, how I many knows Jesus spent much more time praying than any of us will ever spend praying. His life uh, was dedicated. It was devoted to prayer. We've talked about that already, that he, he, reg he prayed often and he prayed regularly. Every day he went out and sought solitude and spent time in prayer. So it wasn't that Jesus didn't pray much. It was just that this prayer at the tomb, how many knows it was a short prayer that Jesus prayed. So Jesus prayed much more. He spent much more time in prayer than any of us will ever spend in prayer. And actually, that's precisely why his prayer in this situation could be so remarkably short. It was because he had already invested great amounts of time in prayer and calling out to God and speaking to, to the Heavenly Father. In fact, Jesus remained in constant communication with the Father. Therefore, he didn't have to stop at the tomb and take the time there at the tomb to pray a long prayer about the subject at hand. It was he could pray a short prayer because he was constantly in contact with the Father. And he had already invested large amounts of time in prayer and in communication to the Father. No doubt uh, Jesus had already been talking to the Father probably along the way as they were traveling uh, to Bethany. He was praying and communicating with God as they traveled uh, to Bethany. Along the way, he had already laid out his heart to the Lord. He had already sought God's wisdom. He already knew what God was going to do when he was standing at the tomb. He already had a vision. He had an understanding about what God's will was in the situation because all along the way, he had been talking to the Father and investing time in prayer. So he already knew what God would do. He already knew what his part was. Um, when, he's, when he was standing at the tomb. Lord, have you ever had to sit through a, um, a long public prayer when, when it seemed like, I've, I've heard some prayers like this before, and it seems like the person is kind of catching up 
with God on all of the details of everything that's happened in the, in the last week or the last. Have, anybody, don't raise your hand because I might get offended, all right? <laughs> you ever had to sit through that kind of prayer where, you know, they're praying about this and that, and it's like this is long prayer. It's like, God, I hadn't talked to you in a long, long time, so let me catch you up on what's going on in my life. I mean, that's, sometimes that's why prayers can be so long is because we hadn't talked to God in a long time, right? That, listen, that was not Jesus' problem. Because Jesus stayed in constant communication with the Father. So when he got to the tomb, he didn't have to stop and say, you know, God, let me, Father, let me catch you up on what's going on here. And, and so he didn't have to pray a long prayer. He could pray a short prayer because he was in contact uh, with the Father. He didn't have to give him all of the details because he had already spent time praying and in communication with the Father. Recently, I, I went to the, to the bank um, to transact some, some business. And, and while I was there, um, the woman said, hey, can, you call, can you call your wife and ask her this question? I forget what the question was. It might have been her social security number. Uh, can you, can you uh, call your wife and, and uh, get this information? So I, I was able to call Irene, and I had a very short conversation with Irene. I said, hey, I'm here at the bank. I need this information. And she gave me that information. And she didn't ask me, well, what are you doing at the bank? Or, well, what are you doing at the bank? What's going on at the bank? Because we had already talked about this transaction long before I got to the bank. Now, if I had just showed up at the bank and called her up and said, hey, I'm at the bank and I'm getting ready to do this transaction, and I hadn't told her anything about it, how many know she might have had some questions for me? She, <laughs> she might have said, what are you doing at the bank? How much money? What, you know, now, wait a minute, slow down. Tell me what's going on. And I'm not sure. Maybe we need to talk about this. We didn't have to have that conversation while I was sitting at the bank because we had already had that conversation before I got to the bank, right? So at the bank, all I had to do was call her up and said, I need this piece of information. She said, boom, boom, boom. And I was able to hang up. That's why Jesus was able to pray such a short prayer at the tomb. It wasn't uh, it was because he had already been in communication with the Father. He, the Father already knew the situation because he had already been talking to the Father about the situation. The Father had already been talking to him about the situation. And so at the tomb, Jesus just had to pray a short prayer because he already knew God's will. He had already been in touch with the Father. He knew what God wanted him to do in, in that situation. Jesus' prayer was short because he had remained in constant communication with the Father. He didn't have to stop and try to figure out, what do, what do I need to pray? What do I need to say? What does God want to do in this situation? He was already in touch. You got that? Say amen if you got that. So his prayer was short. Number two, his prayer was silent. Silent. Now, obviously, this prayer uh, was not silent. When he says, Father, I thank you that you always hear me, that you hear me when I, that you have heard me. But there's something missing from this prayer. If you notice, notice that, in this prayer, he doesn't actually pray for Lazarus in this prayer. In, in this prayer, he just says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Which means what? That, that he had already prayed that prayer. And that's the point I've been making already, that he had already prayed for Lazarus. He had already prayed that prayer. That prayer was a, was a silent prayer. Again, Jesus had already prayed for Lazarus. Uh, how long? We don't know 
how long he had prayed for Lazarus. We don't, we don't know how often he had prayed uh, for. What we do know is that at the tomb, Jesus prayed a short, a simple prayer before Lazarus was gloriously raised back to life. And the point here is that you don't have to pray loud, long prayers to get God's attention. Amen? Especially if, especially if you are in constant communication with God the Father. And how many knows that's, that's how it ought to be? That we ought to have that relationship uh, with him. Actually, I'm afraid that sometimes we feel like we have to pray louder and we have to pray longer when we are actually, when we're actually less confident because we feel like that, you know, maybe, maybe the longer I pray or the louder that I pray, then maybe God's, maybe that will get God's attention. So sometimes, not always, but sometimes loud, long, demonstrative prayers uh, are actually a sign of less confidence that God's going to hear me or that God's going to answer our prayers. Do you remember the Old Testament story of the prophets of Baal and Elijah on Mount Carmel where they're praying for Elijah had set up this competition and said, I tell you what, you pray to your God, I'll pray to my God, and whichever God answers by fire, then that will be the God that we serve. And you remember that the prophets of Baal, he let them go first, and it said almost all day long they did what? They cut themselves and they shouted and they prayed and they thought that with their much demonstration, they would somehow get their God's attention to answer. And when it came Elijah's turn to pray, he prayed what? A short, a simple prayer and God's glory failed. The fire failed because his confidence was in the fact that God heard his prayer. So sometimes um, loud, sometimes Loud, demonstrative praying is just a cover for our lack of confidence in God's ability to hear us when we pray. But, so what does confident praying look like? Well, it looks like Jesus' prayer here. It's a prayer that, number three, so his prayer was short, it was silent. His prayer was sincere. It was a sincere prayer. Jesus prayed here with sincere feeling and sincere emotion. Did you notice that verse number 38 says that Jesus was deeply moved again? In fact, in verse number 35, it said that when Jesus showed up, that Jesus wept. How many, that was the first Bible verse you ever memorized. John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept, all right? So Jesus had already wept. In verse 38, it says Jesus was deeply moved Again, Jesus prays here with deep, sincere feeling and emotion. You know, John, uh, James chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this, that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Amen? What, is, what does that word fervent mean? It means, it means earnest prayer sincere, deep felt uh, prayer. Fervent prayer doesn't rely simply on emotion, but how many knows fervent prayer does engage the emotions as we're communicating with God? It is a heartfelt communication to God, connection 
uh, with God. Fervent prayer means praying to God and engaging our emotions, engaging our intellect, engaging our whole self in communication with God. So fervent means an earnest, a sincere, a heartfelt prayer. So fervent praying doesn't rely on emotion, but it engages our emotions in a sincere way as we seek God's favor and we seek God's will. Power, listen, power in prayer doesn't come from emotion. But how many knows emotion is present when there is power in our prayers? Can you say amen? So the power is not in our emotions, but our emotions do engage when we are communicating with God and when we're praying to him in a sincere way. Confident prayer is sincere prayer. And then the final description, it's, it's secure. His prayer was secure, which means he was, Jesus prayed here with great faith. He was secure in what he was praying. He knew who he was talking to. He knew what God was going to do in this situation. Jesus prayed with great faith. And he says here, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me when I pray. He was secure in his relationship with the Father. And because of his relationship with the Father, he knew that God heard his prayer and was going to answer his prayer. How many knows that we ought to pray in the same way? Amen? We can pray. We can pray. We ought to pray. Uh, confident prayers. We ought to pray with confidence in, in any situation, no matter what we're facing, no matter how uh, severe it may seem, no matter how hopeless it might appear to us, how many knows we can still pray confident prayers? In fact, Scripture encourages us that we ought to pray that way. Look in your notes. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, you know this verse. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Aren't you thankful that God has made it possible for us to pray boldly, to approach him boldly with great confidence when we pray? Because we know that he is our heavenly father. We've already talked about that, right? He's our heavenly father and he hears us when we pray and we can have confidence when we cry out to him. So Hebrews chapter 4 Verse 16 says that we ought to pray with great confidence. We should come boldly to God and make our request known. In fact, I want us to look at the context of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 4. And we're going to look there at that context before we move on and make a few more points about praying with confidence. Hebrews chapter 4. And let's back it up and we're going to read to get the context of verse number 16. We're going to read verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So our confidence when, when we are praying, we can pray confidently just like Jesus prayed here in John chapter 11. We can pray with the same kind of confidence as well. But our confidence does not derive from our praying ability. This is in your notes. But rather our confidence derives from the person of Jesus Christ. Sure, he is a good example for us in prayer. We ought to pray like uh, he prays. But not only is he a great example for us, but he is also our great high priest. Aren't you thankful for that? And because Jesus Christ is our great high priest, we can pray with the same kind of confidence that Jesus prayed with here in John chapter 11. Jesus prayed with great confidence. Why? Because he trusted his father. He knew his father was in heaven and that his father was hearing his prayer and that his father was going to answer his prayer. We can pray with the same kind of confidence because we know now Jesus is in heaven and he is our great high priest and we can pray with confidence. We can come boldly to the throne of grace, not because of who we are, not because we pray such great prayers. It doesn't depend on the length of our prayers, the volume of our prayers. It doesn't depend upon the, um, whether we pray eloquently or not. What matters is that Jesus Christ is in heaven and he is ready to hear and receive our prayers. Aren't you thankful for that tonight? So we can pray with the same kind of confidence because we know, just like Jesus knew his Father was in heaven to receive his prayers, now we know Jesus is in heaven. He's our great high priest, and he's there to receive our prayers. So we can pray with great confidence. My confidence doesn't come from uh, who is praying. It doesn't come from my praying. My confidence comes from who. I am praying to. I know who I'm talking to when I'm praying. And number one, we can have confidence uh, because Jesus is our great high priest and because we know that number one, he has promised to hear us when we pray. Just like Jesus said to his father, Father, I thank you that you have heard me when I prayed. I thank you that you always hear me when I pray. And just like Jesus was able to say that of his heavenly father, we can say the same thing. We know that we can have confidence when we pray because Jesus Christ has promised to hear us when we, when we pray. Let's read these passages. I wrote them down for you so that you can mark them in your Bible because uh, these build great faith in my heart when, I'm, when I am praying because it doesn't depend on my prayers. It depends on him. Jeremiah Chapter 29, verse number 12. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse number 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Isn't that a wonderful promise? 
that God has said, you'll come to me and you'll pray to me and I'll hear you. I'll listen to you when you pray. Let's look, uh, go back over to John now, John chapter 5. John chapter 5, let's look at verses 14 and 15. Let me see if I can find it here. That's the wrong verse. I wrote down the wrong verse for some reason. Let's go on to John chapter 9, verse 31. I'll have to find that verse for you later. Verse number 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, what? God listens to him. So God, God listens to us when we pray. And then let's flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Aren't you thankful that God's word promises us that when we pray, God's eyes are on us, his ears are always open to our prayer. When we pray, he says, I will listen to you, I will hear you. Uh, when you pray. So that gives us great confidence when we pray because we know that God hears us. Number two, we can have great confidence when we pray because we know that Jesus is our great high priest and that he loves us and that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 4, we read it just a second ago that we have a great high priest who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Why? Because he was tempted. He was tested in all points just like we are. Because he was flesh, he understands our flesh. And so he sympathizes with us and he loves us. Jesus is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In fact, the Bible says Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb because he loved him. He, he loved Mary and he loved Martha. And his love is emphasized throughout that passage. And in fact, Lazarus, the word Lazarus actually means the one God helps Aren't you thankful that we have a God who loves us, who desires to help us, and that no matter what we're going through, whatever we're facing, God sympathizes with our weakness and so that we can pray with great confidence because we know that he hears us and that he loves us. Those who are parents, you know that when your child comes to you and they're in pain or they have a problem, they come to you because, wow, they know that you're their parent, that you're going to listen to their uh, plea or their complaint or whatever it is. And as a parent, you love them and you're going to do anything that you can to make their situation better. It's the same way with our Heavenly Father. We can have confidence when we pray because we know that He hears us, He will not turn us away, and that He loves us, He sympathizes uh, with our situation. And then number three, 
in your notes. We can have great confidence in our prayers because Jesus is our high priest. He will hear us. He loves us. He sympathizes with us. And number three, he is able to save to the uttermost. There is nothing that Jesus Christ cannot do. Amen? He is able to save to the uttermost. Let's flip back over to Hebrews, this time Hebrews chapter 7, if you would. We're going to read another passage about Jesus as our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, let's begin in verse number 23. For the former priests were many in number because they, prevented, they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he, that's Jesus, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Verse 25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews chapter 7 says, God, uh, we have a great high priest, Jesus Christ, who is able to save to the uttermost. There is no, there is nothing that Jesus Christ cannot do. In fact, that's illustrated in this story about Lazarus. They thought if Jesus had been here on time, then maybe he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. But now that he's dead, they said, it's over. It's hopeless. In fact, when Jesus says to them, remove the stone from the tomb, they say what? No, Lord, it's been four days. And by now, it says there's an odor. Um, that the fact of the matter is, is that after four days, Jewish tradition said that a person wasn't completely dead until three days. Because in three days, I'm sorry, this is a little graphic, but after three days, their body would have decomposed to the point that they wouldn't be able to recognize them. So their face was marred and their identity was gone. And then after three days, the spirit, there was a superstition, I guess you could call it a superstition, that for three days the spirit hovered around the body, but then after the third day the spirit went on uh, to heaven or to be with the Lord. And so after three days the person was definitively dead, that it was over. And there was, there was no hope. But how many knows it's never too late for God, amen? Because Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost. There is nothing that he cannot. We can pray with confidence because no matter how impossible the situation might seem to us, no matter how hopeless the condition might be, no matter how impossible it might look, how many knows it's not impossible for Jesus Christ because he is able to save to the uttermost and do what is otherwise impossible. It gives us great confidence when we pray. And then number four, we can pray with confidence because we know that he himself, Jesus Christ, as verse 25 said, he himself is interceding for us. It's not, we don't pray alone. How many knows Jesus Christ is interceding for us? Because he loves us, he is interceding on our behalf. In fact, I'm sure you probably have seen this quote before because I know that I've used it before. It's one of my favorite quotes about prayer. Robert Murray McShane said this, If I could hear Jesus praying for me in the next room, he said, then I would not fear a million 
enemies. Can you just imagine that tonight if Jesus Christ were right here and if Jesus were to lay hands on you tonight, whatever your need is, whatever your situation is, wouldn't that be uh, wonderful for Jesus Christ to be right here with us, interceding, praying for us? The reality is he may not be here physically with us, but the Bible says that he is in heaven, that he is our great high priest, and that he ever lives to intercede for us. I'll tell you, if that doesn't give you some confidence when you're praying to know that no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what the situation is in my life, whether it's sickness or financial problems or relationship issues, whatever the need is, I know that I have a heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ is my great high priest, that he hears me when I pray, that he loves me, that he sympathizes with my weaknesses, he sees what I'm, what I'm going through. There is nothing that he cannot do and that he himself is interceding for me to God the Father. I'm telling you, that gives us great confidence when we pray. Amen? Because he intercedes for us. And number five, the only thing he asks, the only thing that he requires, number five, is he asks us to trust him. To just trust him. Jesus told them when he arrived, hey, remove the stone. Remove the stone from the tomb. What was he asking them to do? He was asking them to do what? To trust him. Just trust me. How do we demonstrate our trust in God? How do we demonstrate our faith in God? We demonstrate our faith in God through our obedience to God through our obedience to God. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. I'm not going to read that entire passage. You can read it later if you want to. But you, you're familiar enough with it to know that in that passage, James says what? Hey, what use is faith without works? How do we demonstrate our faith in God? How do we demonstrate that we trust what God says? If we trust what God says, then we'll do what God says. Abraham, in that passage it says, Abraham believed God. And how did he demonstrate his belief in God, his trust in God? He obeyed God. When God said, take your son, your only son, sacrifice him, what did Abraham do? He obeyed God. So we can have great confidence in our prayers when we are obedient to God when we're doing what God says uh, to do. Hudson Taylor once said, I've seen many men work without praying, though I have never seen any good come out of it. But I have never seen a man pray without working. What does that mean? It means that when we pray, we're trusting God, and then we're able to work with great confidence because we know that we're not working alone. Because in reality, when we pray, God is working through us. Amen? It's God that is at work. So when we pray with great with confidence, just like Jesus prayed here, what happens when Jesus prayed with great confidence? Jesus spoke. The impossible happened. <laughs> Lazarus was raised, and he came out of the tomb. When, when we pray with confidence, Jesus speaks. The impossible happens. Romans 
uh, chapter 5. In fact, let's, I do want to read this one. We've got a couple of minutes. Romans chapter 5, if you'll flip over to Romans chapter 5. I know we're back and forth some tonight. Romans chapter 5. <clears throat> and let's just begin reading verse number 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace. So what is Paul saying? We can come boldly before God because we have been given access by our faith into this grace which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, in, in the situations that we're in, the problems that we face. We can rejoice in our sufferings, which means, in, in some way that means we can have confidence, even in our sufferings, even in the bad things that we're going through. We can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Another version says, and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does that mean? Hope does not disappoint. Even in our afflictions, even in our suffering, even in the midst of problems, even in the midst of situations that might seem impossible for us, um, even, even when we're confronted with a situation when it seems like it will not change we can trust in God because hope does not disappoint because at the right time, Jesus died for the ungodly. God has shown his great love for us. And Paul says elsewhere, and if God is for us, then who can be against us? Amen. We can pray even in the face of great adversity and difficulty. We can pray with confidence. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how desperate the situation might be. It doesn't matter how hopeless it, it might appear because we have a great high priest and his name is Jesus Christ. And we have been given access into this grace and we can come to him boldly and with great confidence because we know that he hears us when we pray because we know that he loves us and he sympathizes with our weaknesses we can come boldly because we know that he is able to save to the uttermost there is nothing that he cannot do and right now tonight he is interceding for you and he's interceding for me so that whatever's on your heart whatever's going on in your life Christ is praying for you. He's interceding for you. And, and all you have to do is just trust him. Just trust him. And know that he's going to show up at the right time. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you have any questions or would like more information about following Jesus Christ, 
please contact us at gladtidings.church. If you live near Dunn, North Carolina, please consider visiting our church on Sunday mornings at 1030. You can also download our church app in the iTunes or Google Play app store and receive updates and notifications. You may use the app to make a financial gift to help support our ministry. God bless you.